If you have your notes today, uh, today's teaching on is called Radical Living. This is really a spinoff from the last week's church, kind of a part two. Last week, uh, in the teaching called Dare to be Different, Set Apart as Unique, we talked about two aspects of kingdom dynamics that have been given to us, and that is the blessing and God's favor. And we said that those two items are linked together. You can't have one without the other. And we said, told you that the blessing can be summarized as the empowerment for success. And favor provides the opportunity for the blessing to operate or for the blessing to manifest in our lives. We also said that the blessing will not exempt you from adversity. However, the blessing will exempt us from defeat if we will hold on to the blessing, put faith in God's word, and we will continue to trust him knowing that the blessing is already ours and favor of God already belongs to us. The devil will constantly challenge that in your life through fear and uncertainty. And he'll use adversity to try to direct your attention to, to try to tell you it's not working. I can't tell you how many times I've heard the devil say, what are you going to do now? And I always answer him. I say, I'm going to do the same thing I did last time. What are you going to do now? (laughs) I believe this is what Jesus was referring to. And I'm going to recap with a couple of scriptures from last week. John 17, 16, Jesus is speaking, and he says, talking about his disciples, he said, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Wow, what a qualifying aspect for the church right there. He's saying that his life and our life are synonymous. And just as he is not of the world, so also is his church or his body or his believers. In John 17, 16, in the message, it says, they are no more defined by the world than I am defined by the world. And that word defined in the dictionary, uh, the translation of that would be not marked by its boundaries. Aren't you glad that as a believer that we are not marked by the world's boundaries? What they are bound by, we have been set free from. Amen? Jesus is saying, those who follow me should not be marked by the same boundaries that the world has. In other words, those things that bind and restrict. We are in the world, but we are not of the world. We've been released from what defines those who are in the world, what is holding them. In other words, we don't have their limitations. And the scripture I quoted earlier that we are, Galatians 3.13, it is not in your notes, but if you want to just jot it down, it's a good one to reflect on, it's a good one to memorize, because it says that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. And that word redeemed literally means in the Greek language, it means to be brought out from underneath the lordship of. Isn't that good? We've been brought out from underneath the lordship of the curse that is upon this world. We've been released from that. In other words, we are under the blessing of God. According to this, then we should think differently. We should be acting differently. We should talk differently. 
To those who, know, who don't know Christ, our life should be thought of as radical. Now, there's a word that we hear a lot of today, and I had a little hesitancy naming, talking about that in this teaching today. Because we hear a lot about radical extremism today and a very negative sense on that. However, there is a positive side to the word radical, and we're going to talk about the good, good side of that. The word radical in the world today, like I said, talks about somebody who's strange, talk about somebody who's rebellious, often relates about somebody who is fanatical. However, the dictionary definition of radical means this. The first one is a major departure from the usual and the customary. Number two, a a revolutionary change in current or traditional practices. And I like number three because it just sums it all up. Going far beyond the norm. Did you know? that we have been released from being normal. Last week, I had you turn to your neighbor and say, I'm not even normal. Remember that? And, but you need to think about that for a minute. The world defines what normal is. We are not defined by the world system. We are above what the world calls normal. You are a supernatural being have, if you've been born again. The Spirit of God resides on the inside of you, Like I always say, not the Holy Spirit, Junior, but you have the full Holy Spirit, not a piece of the Holy Spirit, residing on the inside of you. You are a supernatural being, one that has never existed before when you became born again. There should be, because of what I've just said, then there should be a marked, defined transformation of life from our before Christ days to how we're living now. Would you agree with that? There should be something different that marks us from our before Christ days. Let's take a look at Galatians 4.9. I'm going to read this in the New Living Translation. And it says, So now that you know God, or should I say now that God knows you, why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? When the book of Galatians was written, it is thought by many scholars and theologians that it is the first letter that Paul penned. It is the oldest New Testament book, he would say. There was a spiritual conflict going on in the churches around the Galatian region. And what was happening there, there was a lot of Jewish believers, and then there were a lot of believers that had come out of paganism that were Gentiles, who had become Christians, and what they were saying is, you got to go back into Judaism. you got to go back to the law. you got to go back and obey the laws of Moses. you got to go back to the norm. And Paul addressed this, and he said, why would you want to go back again And become slaves once more to the weak and useless spiritual principles of this world. In other words, he's saying, once you've heard the truth, why would you ever want to go back to that which confines, limits, and restricts your life? In fact, 
It was such, it was, it was such a mind-blowing thing that was happening that Paul said this in Galatians 3, verse 1. He said, oh, foolish Galatians. Call them foolish. Then he said, who has bewitched you? Every blessing God has for us is ahead of us and not behind us. You need to embrace that. See, the devil will try to come to you and say, but look what the world's doing. Look at all the fun you could be having. Look at what you're missing out on. And if that is you, then what I would say to you is you need to take a little more time with the Lord and get a new, fresh mindset of what the kingdom of God is truly all about. I like what Luke 12, 32 says. Jesus is speaking and he says, it is my father's good pleasure to give to you the kingdom. Oh, I mean, did that just do something to you? That should have just rocked your world right there. Think about that. I remember when I read that for the very first time. I was sitting on my bed and I had my Bible open and I read those words. It says, fear not, little flock, it is your father's good pleasure to give to you the kingdom. I took my Bible, I threw it over to the side of my bed, jumped out of bed, lifted my hands to the air, and I said, well then, Father, have a good time with me today. If it gives you pleasure to give to me the kingdom, then knock your socks off. Bring it on. What did I just do? I believed it. I believed what he said. And I took a hold of that, and that began to change my whole outlook. It caused me to come out of the norm in my thinking and begin to think larger thoughts that God wants to give me, who had been a drug addict, a drug dealer, God wants to give me, who had been a womanizer, who had lost his family, who in what the world would cast away and cause me and just call me nothing. God wants to give this person who has received Jesus Christ as Lord, he wants to give me the kingdom? Woo! Bring it on! And it changed my thinking. It caused me to begin to think like a radical from the norm of this world. Galatians 4.12 in the New Living Translation, he says, Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to live as I do in freedom from these things. In other words, to live by the world's principle is to live far below your covenant rights. It's not just religion, it's relationship. And his relationship wants to bring everything to you. Let's take a look at the life of how these early believers lived in the first century church. Mark chapter 6, 12 and 13 says, So when they went out and preached, so they went out and preached that people should repent. Verse 13. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Wow. Does that sound like radical living right there? There were miracles that were taking place. Now let's read verse 12 again. So they went out and preached that people should repent. Let's take a look at that in the message translation. It says, Then they were on the road. They preached with joyful urgency that life can be radically different. Wow. Is that the good news? 
I bet you there's people all over this world that are just waiting to hear somebody tell them that you can live radically different. There can be a great change. You don't have to accept how your life has been. Now, let me bring something to your attention. If you can't say that your life is radically different, then I want to give you a suggestion. Maybe you need to go a little deeper. Because Jesus said that your life should be radically different. You're, not, you're in the world, but you're not of the world. After the day of Pentecost, the disciples became even more radical. In Acts 4.33, it says this, And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Did you see that there's two characteristics there that mark these radical believers' lives? And the first one is great power, and the second one is great grace. In other words, great grace would be the empowerment of his favor of the blessing. So those two elements marked the early church's life. They should be marking our life as well. Amen? We should live with great power and great grace. You see, the devil attempts to get the church to begin to think like the world. Have you not noticed that? It, he's continually coming to our mind and trying to get us to shift off of the great things of God, and to begin just to accept what the world is accepting. He attempts to get us to accept sickness and disease. He attempts to get us to accept lack. He attempts to get us to accept defeat, worry, fear, depression, disillusionment, and disappointment. He tries to get us to accept offense. He tries to get us to accept the norm, the way the people in the world are living every day. And I want to tell you, that is not your inheritance. That does not belong to you. You should be living above it. And this isn't a word of condemnation. It's a word of encouragement to you, that you would begin to shift over. It doesn't matter what you did yesterday. If you sinned, you have 1 John 1, 9, amen, that said he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So don't you dare walk another day longer with the guilt and condemnation of your sin than it takes for you to go to him and get, get forgiveness, amen, and get back in to that place that you belong or exempt from the world's ways. He wants you the church to become anemic in their faith. And he wants us to become defined by the world's ways, tolerating things that we should not be tolerating. I've heard people say this, well, pastor, I think you're taking the word just a little too literally. I hope nobody in this church ever says that. Because if anybody ever says that to me, and they have, I think inside myself, I think, well, wait a minute. Did you know that John 3.16 is pretty literal? Did you know that 1 Peter 2.24 that says, by his stripes you were, he you were healed? Did you know that's literal? Did you know that Psalm 107 verse 20 that says he sent his word and healed us and delivered us 
from all of our destructions. Did you know that that was literal? Jesus came to the earth. Did you know that Isaiah 54, 17, that says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Did you know that's literal? Did you know that those are radical Bible verses? And we should be embracing those, and we should be living that out on a daily basis. About in 2011, I don't know if you remember the big windstorm that we had. If you lived north of the freeway, north of the San Bernardino Freeway, there was no power. And so from El Monte still had power. But north of the 10, all the way up to the mountains, as far as you could see from Pasadena all the way over to Duarte, there was no power. It was a big black hole of no power. Over 200,000 residents were out of power. Main transmission lines through Temple City, poles were snapped, and these lines were down, and, the, and people were without power for four, five, and six days, okay? And so it was eerie when I left work here and got off the freeway at Temple City Boulevard, and I could look out over that rise, and I could look out and see, saw this big black area. When I drove through it, there was no street lights. There were no traffic lights. None of the homes had power. But when I got home, guess what? My house had power. <laughs> and the four houses around my house had power. And two of our street lights were on in front of my house. But there was, no, there was no power anywhere else. Now, how did that happen? Just, just happened? Let me tell you a little story. The night when that windstorm was happening, I woke up. Keiko woke up. Our phones, the power was trying to go out, and our phones are, are if you've ever heard the power go out, you hear your answering, we still have regular landline in our house. And so that would be going out and clicking on and off. So the power was going on and off. So I heard this like a freight train, this wind. I've never heard wind in California like that before. And so I, and I could hear things banging down the street, blowing from people's houses and everything, things banging, trash cans banging and everything. And so I laid there for a little bit. Keiko was awake, of course. It was loud. And so I got out of bed. She says, what are you doing? I said, I'm going to go outside and take care of this. You may laugh, but I was the only house that had electricity. <laughs> you may laugh. And, I, and so she understood. So I got it, got a flashlight, and I went out in the backyard. Now, I did not care who heard me. I didn't want my home to be damaged. And I don't know if you remember the damage because they piled up all the trees at Arcadia Park parking lot. And the trees were over 10 feet tall, stacked as an almost a quarter mile long, trees were stacked up. Old, big rooted trees that had been blown over. Our neighbor lost a part of their tree. I turned, when I left work that next morning, it looked like a war zone in Temple City. But our, our house suffered no damage. And so when I went out in the backyard, I pointed up to the sky and I said, devil, in the name of Jesus, I rebuke you and I command you to cease in Jesus' name. And I said, wind, I'm speaking to you and I command you to cease now. You will not damage this home. We will suffer no damage here. We will not lose our utilities. I will not be without power. I will not be without gas. And I will not be without water. And in Jesus' name, I rebuke you and I command you to cease right now in the name of Jesus. And then I went back to bed. 
and the wind started to die down and it dissolved. And we never lost our power. In fact, in the morning, I remember Keiko called one of the utility companies and they said, what, you have power? <laughs> you have water? You have gas? What? And they were amazed. Now, what was that? That was somebody who was living a radical life that took the Bible, took Jesus at his word, literally, and went out and acted upon that word. I remember there were people in this church that came to me uh, when, I, when we had our Sunday services. And I said, and they, I said, wow, wasn't that something on the wind? And I said, yeah. And I said, well, I got power. And they said, you do? And they said, well, we're Christians. How come we don't have power? And I said, well, maybe you didn't do what I did. <laughs> and I'm not bragging on myself. I'm just telling you there's a different mindset for us to think of. And if you don't act upon it, then you're not going to receive the blessing. If you do act upon it, then you'll have some good preaching stories. Amen? Amen. Praise God. And I have a whole bunch of them. Let's move on. Mark 9, 23. Remember that when Jesus, uh, when Jesus went to a boy uh, and who had an epileptic demon and the disciples could not cast it out. And so this father came to Jesus and he said, your disciples couldn't cast it out. And he said, well, you know, if, if there's anything you can do, Jesus, please have mercy upon us. Please help us. And I like Jesus's response. He said, if there's anything you can do, and listen to Jesus' response. Jesus said to him, if you can believe, he said, if there's anything you can do, and Jesus said, well, you, is there, if there's anything you can do, you need to believe, because all things, he didn't say some things, he said all things, and you look at that in the Greek language, that is all things. All things are possible to him who believes. Do we have any believers in the house today? Amen. All things are, are possible to you. It's time for us, the church, to count on the blessing and begin to expect and plan for his favor. That word possible in the Greek language is the word dunados, and it expresses the idea of ability, power. Listen to this. It means one who is able and capable. Who's that talking about? You. You are able, you are capable because you are redeemed and Jesus Christ is your Lord. You have been released from the boundary, the limitations, and the confinement of this world system. Dunatos shares the same root word in the Greek as dunamis, and that word dunamis is the word for miraculous power. I'm telling you, church, we can walk in his miraculous power. The believers in Acts were no longer confined and conformed to the traditional practices of the world, but were released to walk in his power within this world. To them, the first century church, it was the norm. It was the new norm. What did they do? Well, they expected signs and wonders. They expected the power of God to manifest. And can you even believe this next one? They actually expected God to perform his word. Church, we need to get back to our roots. Get back to what the Lord has given to us. 
We know this power was a result of them being filled by the whole, with the Holy Spirit. Let's take a look at Acts 2, 1 through 3. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, and that word for Pentecost is a Greek word that means 50, so we know that it was 50 days after the resurrection, 50 days after the, after the death, burial, and resurrection. They were all in one place and in one accord. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them. I like what the Amplified Bible says. It says, which settled upon them. And then I like what the NIV says. It says, and came to rest upon them. One meaning of the word rest is to abide and to remain. In other words, these disciples, they actually expected this experience to remain with them for the rest of their lives. It should not be an experience that happened back then, but an ongoing, increasing reality. In other words, what am I talking about? The new norm. The new norm for the believers. When we look at Elijah and Elisha, back in 1 Kings 19 all the way up to 2 Kings 2, just to bring you up to speed, Elijah has just done some tremendous miracles, radical for God, just some tremendous things. In fact, right before this story that I'm going to read, he went out and he ate, ate this food And he actually went 40 days and 40 nights and traveled this tremendous distance after having one meal. I'd like to know what that meal was. You talk about a power bar. It was something tremendous. When I get to heaven, I'm going to say, hey, we need to talk. I want to know what did you eat? What was that? Well, let me bring you up to speed. Right after that, Elijah is going through a field and he sees Elisha plowing his field. Okay? Elijah walks over to him, takes his cloak or his mantle, and he puts it onto Elisha, and he walks on. Now, Elisha understood what that meant. In other words, I'm calling you to be my protege. I'm calling you to be my assistant. And me putting my cloak on you actually means that one day you will walk in my footsteps. You will walk with the anointing I have upon my life. So this common everyday man, this normal person of the world, becomes his attendant, serving Elijah. He serves Elijah for seven to eight years. Now, during this time in Elisha's life, as you read through the text, through the chapters, you'll find not much out of the ordinary with Elisha. He's basically just attending to Elijah. Nothing out of the ordinary, nothing radical about his life. He's just a common man serving the man of God, but he is faithful. Amen? Elijah comes to the time when he's going to be taken up into heaven. And so he tells Elisha, I'm going, I'm going to this such and such a town. You wait here. I'll be gone. Well, Elisha knew that this was the day that he was going to be taken away. And he remembered that cloak, that mantle put it, being put upon him. And he wanted a double portion for himself. And he had talked to Elijah about this, and Elijah said, the thing that you're asking is very difficult, but if you see me 
being removed, going up in the whirlwind, then you'll receive that double portion. So then he tells him again, I'm going to another city. Wait here. He says, oh, I'm not leaving you because I want that double portion. Three times this happened, and Elisha refused to leave his master. But then there came the time when they were going to the Jordan, and they came to the river, and Elijah removes his mantle, rolls it up, and he strikes the Jordan River, and the river parts. And it says in the scripture that they walked across on dry land. So they went to the other side of the Jordan, and it is that, at that place that all of a sudden the chariots of fire came that separated Elisha and Elijah. All of a sudden a whirlwind came, boom, Elijah's taken into heaven, and guess what drops to the ground? That cloak, that mantle, dropped to the ground. Now Elisha had a choice to make. All he had was a word from the man of God that said, if you see me going up into heaven, then you will receive the double portion. He could have said, you know, that's just too good to be true. He could have reasoned it out. After all, when Elijah was taken up into heaven, he could have said, I don't feel any different. I didn't feel, didn't get any goosebumps. I didn't feel anything. I feel like the same guy. I guess it didn't work. And he could have just walked back and waded through the Jordan and said it, nothing happened. But he didn't do that. Guess what he had? He had a promise. He had a word from the man of God. He said, if you see me being taken up, then you have received the double portion. So what does Elisha do? He applies his faith to what the word was, bends down, picks up the cloak, walks over to the Jordan, rolls it up. He taps the Jordan and it parts just like it did for Elijah. Then in 2 Kings 2.15, there were 50 sons of the prophets that were off in the distance watching this whole event. And it says here, when the sons of the prophets who were from Jericho saw him, they said, the spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. When the Holy Spirit rests on you, it's like a mantle or a cloak from heaven, which is designed by God to make you different. How different? Radically different in the eyes of the world. And what is that? It's the anointing of God. The anointing, the Holy Spirit, was now upon Elisha. And for the next 60 years, this common, ordinary man became radically different and he had way more signs, way more miracles than Elijah ever had in his ministry. Way more. It actually was a double portion. Let's get back to disciples of the early church. Acts 4.33. And with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. In the Amplified Version, it says, And with great strength and ability the power and power, the apostles delivered their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace, loving kindness, and favor, and goodwill rested richly upon them all. 
That word great in the Greek language is the word megas, M-E-G-A-S. And it's a word that means this, great, large, particularly of physical magnitude. It means significant in size and on a grand scale. I want to tell you today, God's great power and God's great grace is upon you. What is your limiting factor is right here. This is your limiting factor. If you believe you can't, you won't. But if you believe you can and you have the audacity to actually take God at his word and begin to walk in it, you will see great and mighty things transpire in your life. Great grace. Let's take those three items that the Amplified talked about. Loving kindness. What is that actually talking about? In the Old Covenant, in the Hebrew, there's a word chesed. And it actually means covenant remembrance that is continual and ongoing and eternal. So when I see that word loving kindness, I think about that chesed of God. It means covenant love, covenant faithfulness, and certainty. What am I talking about? I'm talking about the blessing of God. Then we have favor of God. We learn that that's the empowerment of God. It's his enablement in our life. What about his goodwill? His goodwill speaks of his benevolence. I love this. His friendship, his help, and his compassion. Did you know that Christianity is not just mere religion? Christianity is the right of intimate relationship, friendship, and fellowship with Almighty God on a daily, ongoing basis. The favor of God rested upon them like a mantle, empowering them for radical living. Psalms 5.12, one of my most favorite scriptures is, For you, O Lord, will bless the righteous with favor. You will surround him as with a shield. Remember, you are surrounded every day by favor. Psalms 44.3 is an awesome scripture. It's talking about those who were went in and possessed the promised land that God had given them. And it says, For they did not gain possession of the land by their own sword, nor did their own arm save them. But it was your right hand, your arm, and the light of your countenance, because you favored them. Praise God. That should be our testimony every day. Amen? Let's read a little bit about the apostles and how, the, how they lived their life and what happened in the first century church, Acts 5, 17 through 20. Now what is happening here is the disciples are going out, they're preaching uh, in the name of Jesus. They've just done some tremendous miracles have just taken place, radical living. And all of a sudden, the Jewish norm of the day, they didn't like the change from the norm. So they went and arrested the apostles and put them in jail. Let's, let's take it up from there. Then the high priest rose up and all those who were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees. Maybe they should just get born again and they wouldn't be so sad, you see. I don't know. And so, anyway. And they were filled with indignation and laid hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. But, oh, I like the but. But, did you like the but in scriptures? I like the suddenlies, I like the immediately's, and I like the buts. 
I like that, that when I get into a place in life, when adversity comes my way, it's not the end of the story, because there's always a but. But God, I love that. So when I'm in a place where I appear to be stuck, I've got to remember, but God. Amen? So here they are in prison, but at night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. Wow, that's radical. That's radical living. What, 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 did, he want, what did he want them to talk about? Great grace. Great favor. Tell them the good news. You know what, what gets me about this story? If you read on in the, in the text, the next day, report comes back and says, hey, those guys you put in prison, they're out in the temple square preaching again. And so they go out and bring them back in again. And they bring them before the council. And you know what their words to them were? You know what the first thing they said to them was? Hey, we told you not to preach in the name of Jesus. What are you doing? We told you not to. Do you know what my first thought would have been? Hey, how'd you get out of prison? Because the prison's still locked up shut tight. How'd you get out? Yeah, they didn't, that, that didn't happen. Anyway, let's move on. Acts 16, 23 through 34, we're going to read about Paul and Silas. I like this. Poor Silas, young Silas, young man. Gets selected by Paul. Hey, hey, Silas, would you like to go with me on a missionary journey? Woohoo! Wow, runs home, probably tells his mom, You're not going to believe what happened to me today. The Apostle Paul. Yeah, yeah, I know. No, no, you, Mom. The Apostle Paul asked me to go with him on a missionary journey. This is the chance of a lifetime. Do you know what I'm going to see? Signs, wonders, miracles. Yeah! So he goes with Paul. You know what the first thing happens? They're traveling along, and all of a sudden, this, de- this girl who is a fortune teller that makes a lot of money, she's a slave girl, makes a lot of money for her masters doing divination, telling the future. So all of a sudden, she's following Paul and Silas, and she keeps yelling out, these are the men that will show you the way to salvation. And is she telling the truth? She is. But you know why it bothered Paul? That it's a demon who makes money fortune telling, is blabbing this so that everybody thinks the demon has the right, has all the insight. Paul gets bugged after a couple of days, and he turns to the girl, and he says, in the name of Jesus, devil, come out of her. And the devil comes out of her, and she's loosed and set free, and all of a sudden her masters realize, hey, we do all, our, all our hopes for making money from this girl are gone. She can't She can't do fortune telling. She can't do divination anymore. So they get mad, and they have Paul and Silas arrested. I wonder what Silas was thinking, like, oh, I wasn't thinking about this one. (laughs) I didn't know this was going to happen. And so we'll pick it up from there. And it says, and when they had laid many stripes on them, whipped them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely, having received such a charge He put them into the inner prison, the dungeon, and fastened their feet in the stocks. But, don't lose sight of that radical but. But, 
at midnight. What does midnight represent? Your darkest hour. That's the darkest time of the night. So when it seemed the bleakest, when it seemed as if all hope may have been gone in the natural, what were Paul and Silas doing? Because, you know, Paul and Silas were radical. They didn't live according to the normal standards of the world. They're in the world, but they're not of the world. They don't live like the world. They've been released from the limitations and the confinement of the world. But at midnight, Paul and Silas, they were praying and singing hymns to God. They were worshiping Almighty God. Didn't they know that that's what normal prisoners, they don't do that. None of the other prisoners were doing that. When you're a prisoner and you're in prison, you're supposed to be sad, depressed. You're supposed to be feeling sorry for yourself. You're supposed to be saying, how am I getting out of this? How long will I be here? I might die in here. That's the norm. Not for Paul and Silas. They were praying and they were worshiping Almighty God. And guess what? All of those prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake. Oh, I love suddenly. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundation of the prison were shaken. And immediately, all the doors were open and everyone's chains, not just Paul and Silas, all of the prisoners' chains were loosed. Now that's radical. And the keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing that the prisoners had fled. Now that's what most prisoners would do. But see, that radical change, that radical move of God, that anointing of God kept those prisoners there, and for a good reason. He drew his sword and was about to kill himself, but Paul called out with a loud voice and said, do yourself no harm, for we're all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? That anointing that destroys yokes, that melts hearts, that brings freedom and liberty to people who are bound, touched that man's life. And he knew these are the men that have the keys to the kingdom of heaven. So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. You and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, cleaned them up, washed their stripes, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. All of his family got saved. Now, what, I, what it doesn't say here, but I believed happened, is that all of those prisoners got saved as well. And I believe with all my heart That when we get, how could you not admit and say, God did this? And I believe with all my heart when we get to prison, every one of those, every get to heaven, all every one of those prisoners are going to be there. And you're going to be able to talk to them and say, Yeah, Pastor Dan said they were there. (laughs) What was that that took adversity in one night? One night. What was it? that got a demon girl released, then brought Paul and Silas. The devil messed up. 
by bringing Paul and Silas into that prison. The devil messed up. Brought them in because they're not bound by their circumstances. Brought them in. The jailer and his family gets born again. Probably all these prisoners got born again. And then they get released the next day. One night in jail for that kind of an outcome, that's pretty good. It's great grace that turned adversity into opportunity. It was a life, two lives that were radically different. 2 Corinthians 9.8 says this, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. I'm telling you, that's a good memory scripture right there. You had to hold on to that. 2 Timothy 1.6 says, he's talking, Paul is talking to Timothy, and he says, I, therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you. You know what a lot of Christians do? I've received emails like this. Pastor, pray for me that God will stir me up. Pray for me that I'll get excited for the kingdom. Pray for me that I'll have passion for the Lord. Pray for me that I'll overcome. And you know what? That's not biblical to pray that way. Because what did Paul say to Timothy? You do it, Timothy. You stir yourself up. So I'd like to say, if you are living in mediocrity today, if you are living in a place where you're wishing and hoping that you can live that kind of a life, it's for you if you're born again. All you have to do is make some changes in your life. All you have to do is get up a little earlier. All you have to do is begin to open your Bible and begin to read at least one chapter a day and allow the Lord to begin to speak to you. All you have to do is take OSL. That'll change your life, I'm telling you. It'll change your life. All you have to do is take that extra 15 minutes in the morning and get up and begin to worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And then take five minutes after you've worshiped and get quiet before him and allow him to speak into your life. Do that every day and watch how your life will radically change. Well, in John 14, 12, Jesus had a pretty radical statement for the church. He said this, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will also do. Wow. Do you believe it? Yeah. Now, let me ask you again. Do you believe that? Yeah. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will also do, and greater works than these shall he do, because... I go to my father. When he said, because I go to my father, that was because he's speaking in John 14. It's called the farewell discourse from John 14 to verse 17, the night before he died, and he's speaking to his disciples, and he's telling them, it's expedient, it's to your advantage that I go away. Because I'm with you, but if I go away, then the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, will come to you, and he won't just be with you. He will be where? In you. Oh, that's better than with you, isn't it? And he's saying, because he will be in you, leading you and guiding you and empowering you, the blessing will be active in your life, favor will be active in your life, and you will be able to do the exact same things that I am doing upon this earth. 
That's radical. That's literal. Conclusion. Two things that caused the early church's lives to be radically different. One was the Holy Spirit rested upon them, and the second one is that great grace or his favor rested upon them richly. If you're born again, then you have the Holy Spirit in you, and you have his favor now. Great grace is upon your life. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Who are you now? Remember the definition of radical. A major departure from the usual and customary. A revolutionary change in current or traditional practices. Going far beyond the norm. John 17, 16 in the message by translation. They, the disciples of the Lord, are no more defined by the world than I am defined by the world. Remember that, that definition of defined. Not marked by its boundaries. Our Lord is desiring a church that will take him at his word and begin to expect his power to flow through them. Here's a charge to you today, a question to you today. Will you take up his charge to become radically different? Let's end in prayer. Father, we give you praise today and we thank you, Lord, for all that you've given us, all that you've done for us. Yes, we're in the world, but we're not of the world. Father, it's not a stand of arrogance or pride. It's merely walking as a believer the way you intended believers to walk so that we could be a signboard, as it is, to the world who is moved by their senses, who goes by what they see, and they would see these miracles at work in our life, which would be a testimony to them of your great grace, your great love, and your great power, and that they might come and say, what must I do to be saved? And Father, we thank you, Lord, we thank you, Lord, for all that you're doing in our lives, and we give you the praise today in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Pray